Welcome. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green. I'm your host, Noel John Toohey. This is Invasion of the Party Snatchers. Let's get to it, motherfuckers. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. Ponty pool, it's ponty pool. <laughs> All right, no, we're back, but we're not back alone. And uh, this time we brought along Trevor Jones. Trev, tell the folks who you are, what you do, and what movie have you chosen for us to watch in this motherfucking zombie series? Hello, guys. How are you doing? Glad to be on the Invasion of the Poddy Snatchers podcast. I am here on behalf or as a host representing Geek Sweat, which is a podcast for filmmakers and film enthusiasts. We're available on all available podcast platforms. We talk about film news, reviews and interviews. We also do trailer talk where we predict how good feature films are going to be in future. We've also got a segment called Dom's Docs where we do documentaries and we try to interview IMDb listed filmmakers. We're a group of independent filmmakers who want to share our unedited unedited opinions on feature films and series that are available to stream. And for this podcast, Mm -hmm. I felt it was appropriate to nominate the 2009 feature film Pontypool starring Stephen McHattie. Pontypool, it's a Pontypool. (laughs) I I said this film to my my better half and she said, it's a place in Wales. I went, oh, it's a Welsh film. I thought it was a British film. And I went, okay, you know, and I, I sat down and I went, Stephen McCarthy, oh, okay, let's see the accents, you know. I'd never heard of this, and this film was really good, and it mm. went completely under my radar, and I clean up in horror genre. Like, nice. I'm, I'm watching two, three, four, and since the since this, maybe five, six a week, <laughs> and this went under my, so well done. Yeah. Yeah, I never heard of this, and there's another movie that you'd recommended before this, but we went with Pontypool is Colin. Another zombie movie, like like Trev knows all seemingly all yeah, the shit. Yeah. yeah, Trev knows all the deep pull zombie movies, but yeah, I'd never heard of this movie either. Really enjoyed it. So Trev, well, what, what is your yeah. relationship? I, I think what it is. Well, I I'm on the other side of my uh, podcast life. I also try to be an independent filmmaker, so I've been quite successful mostly in corporate videos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been quite successful at that, uh, but obviously I, w- I was coming up short in a few scenes, so I had, I, I had to find some other alternative things of income. But um, I've done a few music videos, corporate videos, and uh, promotional videos for local charities. Um, I, I've been flirting around the uh, circumference, as it were, of independent filmmaking for feature films, and I do attend um, events and sessions, and I think maybe I went to something like uh, maybe a rain dance uh, film festival event or uh, maybe Chris Jones's version of a guerrilla filmmakers and I was finding out about low budget film productions and the interesting thing is between 2000 and 2010 there was this wave of new ways to make independent film and I think it's mm. because uh, consumer pro technology was now affordable on the market mm. and people were open up the idea of uh, filming on DVs, mini DVs and HD cameras that were accessible to buy and um, Pontypool was just one of these examples of how to make a low budget feature film and um, obviously with one star actor, but to kind of do this kind of single location, strong mm. story, strong premise, low budget, low special effects. And I think high, high, high concept. High concept, concept yeah. That, that uh, impresses me. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about Pontypool is it, 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 it starts to 
make the audience question what they expect from a horror film and whether horror can be considered high art as well. Mm. Yeah, well said. And that's the thing. I, there was these scenes early on where there's a protest outside the doctor's office. It all goes to hell. There's been explosions. Multiple people are killed. Um, you know, police sirens on the way. And it's all just essentially it's a guy uh, that we understand is in a helicopter kind of observing. it. We see nothing. Mm. And I'm thinking yeah. that bar the fact that you've got a great actor at the hell of it, and I'm sure that but you're just kind of thinking, wow, that's awesome. Wait a minute. I'm not seeing anything there is just yeah, some yeah. vague sound effects and a guy describing something and i'm thinking that's that's genius reminded me of Sa- yeah. uh, failsafe have you ever seen failsafe it's no i haven't seen failsafe um it's uh there's two versions of it there's one from like the 60s or something and then there was remade uh in about 20 years ago i think with george clooney and Noah wiley a few other people but it's sure. all it's all set in I if it's a george clooney remake it must have been excellent yeah no it, yeah it was it was really good <laughs> it was all set in um one kind of room and it's about where a nuclear uh, bomb, it's like a nuclear device is about to be delivered. Whereas like uh, by mistake on Russia, where there's a plane flying to Russia thinking America's after being attacked, but America's yeah. not after being attacked. And the failsafe is that this is going straight away to nuclear uh, Russia. And they're trying to get in communication with this uh, plane before it nukes Russia because they think yeah. America's already after being nuked. But when Russia hear about the plane coming, they're going to nuke America. So pretty much they have to get in touch with this plane, but the whole thing is that they have to pretty much find a way of stopping this plane from nuking Russia before nuke, uh, Russia actually nukes America because this plane thinks that America's already after being nuked. And it's all set in one room, yeah. man Center. It's very, yeah. very well done. Yeah, high, again, high concept, but obviously shot from a perspective where you just kind of get to be in inside of the story instead of inside the special effects or something yeah. like that you know it's not the battle battle of helms deep and lord of the rings or anything like that mm. but it but it still feels it still gets the blood pumping and i thought that, that I, I think i might have seen Bale safe but i'm not sure but the pontypool is just an excellent excellent reference point for that yeah. um i thought the, yeah. con- the concept of uh the virus being carried by words terry how did that did that do it for you um, yeah, you, you got the virus yourself, uh, Miss Trevor. Still, but um, keep, let's keep an eye on this one, just in case he starts babbling later on. Um, yeah, so the the interesting one of the reasons why I select <laughs> one of the reasons why I selected this film actually is because I know that both of you are writers. I like to write scripts as well, and I think understanding story where language is at the center, particularly where language is at the center of the horror concept i think that was quite interesting i've not really seen that before and um speaking of language i just want to like let people know that this is a film that was made in canada it is in the english language but it also delves into french and i think arabic at yeah. some points as well german and as well, um yeah it's yeah yeah, german yeah as well as the doctor card yeah 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 and i think um just to go back to the low budget state state again this is a he only made a box office of thirty two thousand one hundred and eighteen dollars, and it was a film that came out in two thousand eight September, but it's got into the Toronto International Film Festival. Apparently, it's won eleven awards, uh, but that was in two thousand and ten, two years later. So this is like a slow burner movie mm. where you really only find out about it through word of mouth, and I think. It Stephen McCatty's big film of that year, I think, might have been Watchmen. So that's probably why a lot of, there wasn't too much publicity about this specific film. But um, I, I think one of the things about this film is it plays along the lines of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds um, does, radio yeah, performance. Mm. And um, the director, Tony Burgess, 
uh, he's got some influences from Orson Welles, but also we should know that he's a writer who actually wrote a novel. I think it's called We Need to Talk About Pontypool. And that was, novel was the basis of this um, feature film. And the original concept of the feature film was to actually just have a wavering line at the beginning, which was synchronized to the voice of a specific actor. Mm. And we watched the film and understood the tension through the wavering line. But um, they've obviously got the budget to bring the actors in and have a, a certain location. So we see the wavering lines in bits and pieces of the film. But I think the interesting thing about this is it's like, it's really challenging you to pay attention to what's important. And it also plays around with the concept of how horror films uh, templates are understood because we are introduced to characters, but it's not made clear to us who the hero, who the villain is, and particularly what some of the backstories are and how invested certain characters are. So each scene kind of shifts the momentum of who's got the status of who's trying to do the right thing or who's in the morally uh, conscious uh, frame of mind. Yeah, no, I think that one thing about this is that like when the movie builds through like uh the tension the way they control the tension is fucking awesome because like it's just little reports this is how you get it like like when coronavirus started coming out it's like it's just little reports here and there yeah yeah and, yeah and then you're just like what's true what's false like it's like because at first it was like it was supposed to be the pandemic to end all pandemics it was supposed to be spanish flu 2.0 you know what i mean like yeah everybody was freaking out and that's what i loved about this it's like the way they control the tension the build through the scenes, the like the little bits of information. And because you're only hearing it over the radio, it's not like it, it, it's like whatever you pick up in that moment, it's not like you're, you're seeing visual cues that yeah. like, everything is given to you through an, an hour setting. And that's what I love about it that it uses and builds the tensions like those, like when you have a scene in those movies and uh, in a war movie or something where you have them one, two guys are communicating through the radio. And you have you all you're getting is from the point of view of one end, and they hear a vicious attack or something going on the other end, and it's just left for your imagination. And like that's what this did really well that like it bled through the information, and like really drip, 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 and at the same time slightly heightened the tension with every bit of information we got. And that's how we kind of control the pace and that like because it's in one room and it's a small yeah. cast and there's not very much variation in terms of the scenery or what we're seeing. But what it does was it increased the pace and throughout the movie by increasing information and heightening the tension. I thought that was really clever, you know? Yeah, and I think um, horror movies of a decade, uh, particularly ones that turn into franchises like Hostel and Saw, mm. they tend to tell you what's going on in the first 15 minutes. And then you end up in a film where it's not so much of an unfolding story, but it's more of just a situation that somebody has to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas... In Pontypool, the situation is changing all of the time. So the beginning of the film, I think it starts off with a piece of audio, which is actually going to take place later on in the film. Okay. And you actually start um, the the actual first time you actually see a character is Stephen Hattie, who's playing somebody called Grant Mazzy. And you kind of get the idea he was some kind of... Um, popular shop jock in a big city who's yeah. now had to take a small town gig got shook hand and now he's yeah, making ends meet sure. exactly so you've got this idea that he's already going on to the edge of beyond or the ends of the earth pretty much like uh, maybe you could say jack nicholson in the shining when he has to go and uh stay in a hotel 
at the over the overlook hotel mm. so this is about him going out into the wilderness and waiting to see what's being discovered and i think the good thing about this film is it wasn't spoon feeding you mm. how to feel about anything at any time no and it, and it, i i also thought when i was watching it that near the end i thought you know like you go in and there's a dead body in the mansion and there's a butler and there's a, a mistress and there's all these people and you figure out who done it it felt like yeah. a kind of a who done it but this really high concept like how has this kind of come about how done What's it to play how done it is there, well, there you yeah. go yeah you want to yeah. pitch a hold and i'm sure timmy will agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah give me all the teas i want to get all the teas call me tony as well <laughs> but uh but that yeah but that just uh, as you're trying to piece together the information, you're kind of thinking, "Wait!" It, so the kid, like, there's okay, the, the guy, the the guy that was on the ground, who I think yeah. his name was actually Terry or something like that as well. I think it was Kenny. 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 Yeah. Kenny. Okay, yeah. nailing names today. Yeah. <laughs> but he was saying that there's a kid here, and you know, the, the, listening to his voice, and there's some yeah. message kind of coming across, and I'm like, right. So that is something, and I'm, I have this little whiteboard in my head, and I'm kind of going, "What is it?" And then people yeah. are chanting, and I'm thinking, yeah. But at the same time, I didn't think. It's essentially, it kind of got a little bit like a spell slash yeah. a virus slash. Yeah. So it was good. It played with my expectations a bit, and that's what a classic Who Done It is. And it took that and it made it into the horror genre. I think, yeah. and I think it did it's it quite. It's almost yeah. brainwashy, isn't it? Like it's like as if there was some like program or something, some chemical was released, and it reacts to uh, like programming or brainwashing or something. Because it's like, but yeah. nearly 90% of zombie movies, there's always some shady company, there was some sort of <laughs> leak, there was some sort of outbreak. Isn't that what it is yeah. at the end of it all? So like, I, in my mind, when I when I watch Pontypool, I imagine that there was some company there, there was some military experiment, and they were probably uh, injecting people or releasing a gas and having a program to certain words. Like, like the apparently. mist and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what the military yeah. site and yeah. yeah. What yeah. do they call it? It's like um, uh, so, uh, population disruptor. It's where yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, well, there was another movie, The Crazies. Remember The Crazies yeah. where the chemical mm. was supposed to be, uh, you send it into an enemy territory and everyone turns into rage monsters pretty much. In the and wipe each other out. Wipe each yeah. other out. Yeah, like, annihilation from within yeah. pretty much, you know. And that's what I kind yeah. of uh, thought about Pontypool that, Maybe there was this like military experiment and like some sort of gas, and there was these like words programmed. That's the whiteboard in your head. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, yeah. That's yeah. the whiteboard in your head trying yeah. to string things together. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah, I, I mean, let me go back to the the book title again because I think I got it, got it wrong. It's actually called Ponty Pool Changes Everything, which is yeah. by Tony Burgess. You're the director. way off. You're uh, way yeah, off. I was way off. And um, and, and, and nice. P- <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I want to give you a bit of trivia actually, which is quite interesting about this. Um, the actual there's an actual scene in the film where during the chaos. Um, they're visited by a local, the radio station, which is taking place in a church, which is a basement, as far as we know, uh, is visited by like a small group of theatre actors <laughs> who are actually putting on like a slightly offensive blackface of play of <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. And um, super and it, and it t- and it's a, it was a good way of revealing how the virus works. I don't want to go into much into too much detail about it. Mm-hmm. But one of the uh, the singers in that was actually the director Tony Burgess, and his character was referred to as Tony. But by accident, um, Stephen McCatty actually calls him by his full name at the end of the scene, which is quite interesting. And I think one thing that I liked about this is. 
Pontypool is very specific about pointing out the tropes of what a horror film and a zombie film is. Yeah. So we have the basement, we have to go down to the basement situation. We have the uh, being cut off from any sense of authority or safety and isolation. That's right. Barricaded uh, we, as well. You know, you, you make yeah. you fortify where you are. Confined yeah, there's, in isolation, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's actually two or three uh, barricade fortified moments in the film. Mm. And obviously the, the, the human kind turning into the horde um, and then the infection spreading in a way that people don't understand. And also the kind of the panic through misinformation. So it does all of the things that the zombie films uh, have told you to be afraid of beforehand. But it just gives, you, gives it to you in a slightly different menu. So you're always uh, thinking and second guessing what might really be happening. And there's an interesting part of the film where it's, it's 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 actually playing up the idea that it's a hoax as well. So this idea that all information may be some information may be fake information <laughs> is something that's played into uh, the story as well. No. I can't. I don't see that ever happening. I don't. <laughs> I can't see misinformation during a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't Stephen McCarthy's voice? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just break down your kidney stone for you? Wouldn't it just what be, the fuck? It's just therapeutic. It just, yeah, yeah. What a great actor to have at the helm. It just it takes. I honestly, God, it just takes it from B level status to A level status for me. Like mm. this is as good as a horror film as I've seen recently. And mm. and, it, and it's new. And I think, We're always looking for something new. Yeah, and it's new, and I think that's why you get so many points for me. But but the fact that you just had someone at the helm there that was just so comfortable. And, and, and what I like that. about the yeah. 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 Did you freeze? freeze? Sorry. Okay, you're back. I think I've lost Noel John. Oh, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> it was Noel John. Um sorry. No, could you say your last sentence again? Uh, I was yeah, just you're back to, now. Okay, let's just talk about how great it was to have somebody as charismatic yeah. as McCarthy at the center of it, and I think that's what brought up a tear at least. Mm. Yeah, I, the, the thing I, I I found interesting about the introduction of Stephen McCarthy is he's one of these actors who he's just been around and you've seen him in things, and he's just kind of like one of these background staple actors who's just been like in hundreds and hundreds of films. Um, I can't even tell you what the biggest film that I know him for outside of um, uh, outside of Watchmen, but he's kind of like the type of actor you would see having a career revived by Quentin Tarantino at some point. Yeah. Uh, is he still acting? Is he, he must be super He's old. 75 now. Mm. So, yeah. but you know what? I think I won't be surprised if he is. Uh, and I think the interesting movie, which is um, Sidney Breyer, the, the way it's said in, in... Sorry, I'm getting a kind of a glitch moment here. It's cool. Just get, get power through, dude. Okay. I'll, I'll tidy it up. Okay. Yeah, so 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 what I was going to say is um, Stephen Mahatty, he's, he's, he gets to say this line, which is, Sidney Breyer is alive, which yeah. is it sounds very innocuous, but when it's repeated over the microphone in his specific tone, it sounds like a horror trailer moment being inserted into the film. And mm. it's an excellent way of reminding people that this film isn't fucking about. It's actually trying to put you into a state of tension and fear without relying on blood, guts and gore. Yes. 
Mm, leaves it up to your mind. Like it's like uh, I know there's a few bloody scenes in it, but like it's like something I uh, said before uh, to know it was the, the masters, John Carpenter, Wes Craven. A lot of them say, "Don't spill a drop on screen. Like keep the blood to your imagination. Uh, imply the gore, imply the violence." And like mm. that's what this movie did for most, like for ninety five percent. Like except for that scene where that we finally got to see a little bit more of an understanding of the life cycle of the virus. When uh, the girl, the radio the station assistant. worker, yeah. yeah, yeah, she pretty much kills herself uh, by spewing up all over the place because she couldn't pass on the virus. That's obviously a bad virus that dies off very quickly. And um, uh, I don't think what they call it, the not rate or something is the rate of infection or whatever. Like, so it must need to go along quickly. Otherwise it burns out and dies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so we finally got a bit of understanding with the virus mm. there. But apart from that, like kind of bloody scene, um, most of it is just left to your imagination. Like, it's like, it's, it's very much like a, a radio player. Like, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where you're sitting there you have to build the story in your head. It's like you're reading a book or listening to an audio book or like something like uh, Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History where he's giving you all the information. He's painting this beautiful picture with his words, but you and yourself have to construct the actual visuals if you really want to see them. And that's what I love about this. Uh, it gives you the opportunity as an audience member, as a viewer, to craft the story for yourself. You can. It's up to you to imagine what's going on with Kenny. It's up to you to imagine uh, what the riots look like, what the violence looks like, how close they're getting to the radio station, how much Pearl our, our uh, protagonist in. Like, that's what this movie does really well. With but the I, one, sorry to speak over here, Vin, no, with the one exception to that, which was quite strange and quite beautiful, was when um, when uh, Grant starts reading out some of the obituaries that have happened in the town. Yeah. And he starts saying that this be on his 51st yeah. year. Yeah. And then it was just these people. It was black and white, juxtaposing against black and white. And it was like um, just a small, like four seconds of them. But it was clearly a moving image. Yeah. You know, it was like their dresses were blowing in the wind or or whatever, yeah. what have you. And I, I thought that, that that was just the one thing that flew in the face of what you were saying. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a really interesting moment because, I, again, like you kind of touched on, Vin, we always say like, like at the start of Armageddon or something, a meteor takes out Paris, and we, oh, we go Stalin again, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, but it doesn't matter because it's yeah, just a special yeah, yeah. effect. It doesn't have that personal. So I think when he was reading the obituaries, they must have thought like, well, we need this to, to hit, and mm. it did because you've seen like pictures of children and pictures. Well, of I assume that's elderly what sisters. Pictures, yeah, maybe so. That's the thing. I actually don't know mm. um, because he's not really from the area, so I don't think he'd be as familiar with everybody. But I just thought that yeah. was really cool because I just thought that was this kind of like. <laughs> this is happening and this is happening to people moment because otherwise they're just like, Oh, a thousand people are dead. You don't care because it's fiction and it's just people saying things. I just mm. thought that gave it a little bit more grit. And I thought it was an interesting thing that was against the grain. Is there the anything story. more haunting than like old videos or old Polaroid pictures? Yeah. And <laughs> like it's so haunting. <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing is, I thought what was interesting about it is because uh, Grant Massey is the outsider in this film and he doesn't, he doesn't really know the rules of how things work, which is why Sidney Bryan has to keep checking in with him and telling him what he can and can't say on the broadcast. But I think reading the obits was quite interesting because usually when you see a zombie film, you only get to see the zombies like killing, murdering, falling off building, getting their heads chopped off. And I think in this moment, the director's made a choice to say, no, these are real people. And I want you to understand that these are collections of families or it's a community that's been torn apart by this virus. It isn't mm. just a cool moment where the lead actor can pull out a machete or some yeah. kind of hardware, improvised hardware tool and hack somebody to death. So I thought yeah. that made it 
feel a bit more newsworthy, as it were. And it's quite interesting that they also have a segment where the BBC get involved or get mm. wind of a story and the main character has to kind of verify what's going on. And it kind of reminds you of how language in the media can manipulate how people react to yeah. things and what they take from it. And obviously trigger words seem to be like a bit of a theme mm. in this film. Yeah, because what the media guy says, it's, it, it, it's manipulative, but it's not lies. So he's kind of saying, oh, well, he's after telling us it's not this. So, yeah. so it still leaves this and this and this open. And we could still say it's this and this. And you're kind of thinking, you oh, you yeah, yeah. shitty. <laughs> oh, you absolute asshole. And it was, yeah. It was just that yeah. kind of moment where because he, you, he, well, he, he had a narrative that he was going to go with, no matter what you said. Yeah, because he was trying to land certain words like terrorism, insurgents, yeah. uh, virus, uh, mm -hmm. quarantine, stuff like that. So it kind of, it was a very... Yeah, it was, it was a very clever way of looking at how buzzwords trigger people. And it mm. got me thinking about this idea that um, it, it, there's two, I mean, going back to something that uh, Vinny said, that this could be seen as a prophetic analogy of how we understood the uh, 2020, I think it was, pandemic and how we came by that information, uh, how we couldn't really understand what was going on because we were hearing different voices on the subject from different people. And we were also, like in the film, um, discrediting the medical expert at the beginning because they were being attacked mm. for what they understood. And I felt the interesting thing about this was the, you've got the one side of this is the perfect film to kind of show how people dilute information about a serious uh, pandemic. But also it reminded me of the Internet in terms of you can't have a conversation anymore without trolls. Mm. And it rem the zombies reminded me of trolls on the Internet who tried to take certain words and phrases and create trigger points or arguments or make a statement that somebody said have less meaning. Hmm. And I felt that these zombie characters through the way they use language, they were just, they were just reducing the meaning of everything to nothing in a sense. Yeah, it's like the it's like the old school words have bullets. Uh, words are like bullets. Do you remember that in South Park? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just let them pass me by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, but like, yeah, like it is an interesting take because, like, the, it's like something we spoke about one previous episodes is that zombification can happen in many different ways, and not only that, it can actually look like many different things. Yeah, and that's why, like, a rage virus or yeah. a T virus, or even in this, or you're talking about buzzwords. Like you can zombify a population with propaganda. Like we've seen this with misinformation. We've seen this, mm. and that's what this kind of is, is kind of uh, the social commentary contained within Pontypool is that's looking at how people can be turned into rageful creatures or how people can be twisted and manipulated by just the use of language. And oftentimes the use of information and uh, what way you can impact certain people by contorting words to mean different things or just uh, to kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to kind of distort the reality to suit your own benefit. And and I think that's what this kind of does where it looks at certain words and it takes it a very, like, you know, to 11 or whatever, that it's literally creating real monster uh, flesh-eating zombies. But it shows you that the, what they're talking about is how language can be used to control people. 
and how language can use to turn people and really destroy people's minds. And that's what this movie is. It's about the zombification of a population through language and linguistics and stuff like that. And it's very interesting, like, because it is a very cool way of doing social commentary and it's not on the nose, even though, like, you know, like a lot of movies kind of try to do social commentary, but it's a bit on the nose. Whereas this in it felt feel like that they're just like trying to hammer the point home. It was just this kind of cool take and how infection can spread and how people can be uh, affected by language and words. Didn't get true. bogged down in that either. Mm. That's that's in it. Yeah, it never got bogged down in it. It wasn't like yeah. it was this, this was the film and it stopped in these moments to kind of like ah, there's another hidden message in this or it's a bigger thing. It was very much yeah. so just a movie at the same time. Yeah, it was just a very very clever one that can yeah. actually speak to a bigger picture. And if you can pull that off, yeah. you've met a movie like a, you've met a real movie. Yeah, it showed uh, them how the language was affecting their society, but was also commenting how it affects our society, but never linking the two of them in the movie. It just let you figure it out for yourself. And That's also like, that nobody gives yeah. a shit what you're saying if you're speaking French. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Social commentary. <laughs> yeah. They usually just shout retreat, don't they? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is, and I, I understand that you're both writers, and well, was there a special. scene in the film that stood out for you, uh, where you said, where you said to yourself, "I understood the writer's decision to include that moment in the film, or to film That's... it in that particular way." A very small one, just for my answer, but just for the thing that stood out for me, because it was almost like, God, I wish I had thought of that. Uh, do you remember when the doctor shows up? He's a little bit comic relief-y. He kind of like, he sneaks mm. in and he's all yeah. like, dusts himself off. And he's all like, oh, I've, I've been literally crawling across town. And at this point, the, the producer's assistant has started to almost like aggressive Alzheimer. I didn't really, mm. I, I got, she was probably infected. I didn't really, again, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and he just says to yeah. her, he goes, no, we need to go somewhere. And she says, why? What's like, what's going on with her? She goes, she doesn't know it yet, but she's starting to hunt us. And yeah. I thought that was so, yeah. I just thought that was so well done. I thought that this is so new yeah. that all of the rules have changed. Yeah. And like this, this just yeah, looks yeah. like confusion to you. But what she don't know and what she yeah. doesn't know is that she started to hunt us and brings her into it. I remember just she's turning. Yeah, she's turning, but it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like because it's not like the zombie thing. We go, uh, and you just it's a very aggressive change. Your skin color changes. You know, you get mm. blood in your eyes and stuff like that, because we did like 20. We were watched 28 yeah, days yeah. later. A classic example. It's very aggressive. It's very over the top. Mm. Um, but this to. was very subtle. Yeah. And I remember just thinking that is such a clever way of addressing it. And she she doesn't know it, but she started to hunt us. And I remember getting a tiny bit of a chill going. That is so creepy because right now she just looks like a confused woman. Doing mm. nothing, nothing wrong. Somebody that you would reach out to help in that situation. I remember just thinking that was clever. I remember just thinking they, they're they're onto something new here, and not just that. Now that they have it, they're using it well. Mm. They're using it well, and they're keeping me guessing. So I, again, I know it's a small thing because essentially it all plays out in about twenty seconds. But yeah. I remember just thinking that that is clever, and that's no. something I did not think of. And it's not. I, I was just going to say I think that's a good choice because like I, I was going to jump on that character too because we don't get a lot of exposition characters in this or a lot of characters that help us better understand of course because it's a small it's exactly. a small assembly like you know four I mean? characters essentially yeah. so outside of the doctor the only other information character is the, the woman turning and because like we get to see how she turns how she acts when she turns and then we get to see the life cycle of the virus like I touched upon earlier 
that for me, I thought that was a cool scene, and it's it's a clever way of doing exposition without doing an information dump because you're actually getting to see yeah. the exposition play out instead very of much being so. it. It's very much show not tell. Like they say, when you write a story, you're supposed to show and not tell, and um, that's what I did. And I thought that was very cleverly done, and we got to understand a lot about the infection and the life cycle, all that kind of stuff. Which, if you're in a situation like that, to better understand the infection is the only way you can survive it. And I thought that yes. was a pretty cool and important scene. Yeah. What about you, Tony? There must have been a moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it's, it's Timothy now. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, I, I think for me is Stephen McCatty's voice plays a very important role in this. And it reminded me of a film um, called, with Clint Eastwood called Play Misty for me, where mm. a lot of seen the horror... It. Seen it in the cinema. Ta- it ha- did you? Oh, you? Yeah, yeah, they played at the Horror yeah. in Dublin. Of it was it great. Yeah, of Super movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're, not, you're not 72 years old. And, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so the thing is, Steve McCatty, he is that craggy old shock jock American, which I think is loosely based on a Howard Stern type character. But mm. I think Ooh, the, the voice <laughs> in terms of it's, it's, it's almost the equivalent of like Vincent Price in Thriller. And um, I, I liked some of the moments where he was just trying to make sense of the, the, the eyes in the sky. In, and I say that in quotation marks. Um, Kenny, who was trying to relay information because it brought a sense of intimacy to the horror uh, that you wouldn't have got if you just saw it as special effects flying around on screen. Because now it's about um, not just the peril that Kenny is in, but it was also about Grant Mazzy's almost post-traumatic stress disorder because it was briefly touched on that the production assistant was like an ex-army veteran who was in Afghanistan, but mm. she couldn't quite articulate what it is that she went through. And you kind of got a sense that uh, Grant Mazzy's character had gone through some horrific things himself. Yeah. But he, and it may be the reason why he's in these kind of um, jobs that send him to the end of the earth and he can't hold down a regular uh, radio position. But there were some moments where it was just brought close to this is just me and you and nobody else in the room when he was talking to the microphone. So I thought that was some excellent moments to kind of make it personal. Yeah, no, that's the best thing about this kind of movie because this is how you would perceive me, you or Noel. We're just normal folks. Like, you know, this is how we would perceive a situation like this. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? At at best, at best, you're hearing news reports as it's going on at best. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And like, if you're like in a situation where it's you and two or three other people, you're going to get locked away from 90% of the information is going to just be coming through slowly but surely, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I liked about this, that they did a really good job of cutting off the protagonist away from the events and in in that way they cut the audience away uh, off from the events and it just like literally lets it play out in your own mind and i just that, that's the way it, like it would be like for normal people unless you're on the front lines that's what me noah spoke before in zombie movies most of the people that would die would be fr- uh, first responders frontline people military yeah. and the people that would be lons to the, that would survive are the ones that have no information and because we were the ones that would have bunkered yeah. down in a fucking basement or would have hidden underground car park or some shit like that. And we would have come out on above and we would have seen the world in ruins. 
we'll have no information about the virus, how quick it spread or anything like that. All we probably mm. get is the first instances, this depending, of course, on how quick the virus actually spreads. But like that's what I like about this, yeah. that it, it really does a good job of containing the storyline and the characters within that one room and then just kind of mm. drip, drip, you know, you get that information. It's really, really cool. Yeah. And, and one other thing I liked about it was it kind of inverts the idea of the haunted house because all the scary stuff has happened outside yeah. until the moment where the station's breached. But also you don't actually, from what I remember, you don't really see the outside world. Like mm. even when you're outside, it's in darkness. So mm. you get this sense of um, anything could be happening and your your imagination's got the freedom to kind of build the the city or the community that's being torn apart around mm. uh, that safe space. And I think the director's made some very interesting decisions, but I wanted to ask um, the both of you, Arvi, do you think this film could have only been made that way by, let's say, an auteur where, or an author, really, where, who actually understands the premise because he wrote it rather than adapted it? Yeah, I think the thing is, like, he pretty much probably kept, I haven't read the book, but, like, it reads like a novel or it's conveyed like a novel or a radio drama. Like I said, it's like you have to build the story in your head and it it shows you enough that you can construct the story or tells you enough that you can construct the story, but it doesn't give you the meat. Like, it just gives you the bones. You have to put the meat on top of it. And that's pretty much what the author of the book obviously understood the style and how it benefited the story from the novel. And then when he's adapting it himself, he understands the strength of the stories. He understands the method that he wanted to use to convey the story. So it makes like perfect sense that to have the story told in this way and to have it be as strong as possible and be told in this way, where it's very contained. You Not only would you need the person that wrote the book to come on and at least write the movie, but you'd need that person to actually really uh, depict that style correctly because they would have the understanding and the visuals that you're attaching to a very auditorial style. So like, it's very important, I think, to have the author to be involved in the movie, especially one that's very contained, it's very audio-based, and it's very much left to your imagination. How about you, Noel? Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) It was, again, I hadn't read the actual subject matter, but I do remember just watching this film. There was something where you just kind of come out and think it was a very pure film. Where yeah. you know where it was that they really just sat down and they worked out the the pacing always felt so so well it's felt so well paced and the structure of the storytelling and how they fed the information mm. I remember just thinking that I, again without reading the book I remember just thinking wow that must just have been so honest because it it seems painstaking at times how the information comes in and how they react to it yeah. and very and also while yeah. also appearing very human and I do think to get that you would and obviously the person who wrote this is an extremely clever man but then you would need to um. You would need to have them involved. You would, and I and I think you mm. probably always should. Need even if you're understanding, wouldn't you? Yeah, even if you're putting heads, yeah. even if you're putting mm. heads, mm. Uh, like even if there's impasses because it is again a project. But at the same time, there was just something where uh, they were trying something new. So if the book is something new and you want to adapt it, yeah. then then bring somebody in and try and adapt something new to the screen. So yeah, I do, I do, I do, mm. and I, I'd be so puritanical mm. about it. Where I just think, yeah, just get everybody involved and make, and I don't give a shit what it grossed at the box office. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Again, you know, Shawshank Redemption, famously a flop. It doesn't surprise me at all that these films were, were like, just that one person goes, did you really watch it? Like, did you watch it through the right eyes? And then, it, mm. you know, it yeah. goes to circuits. The DVD yeah. comes out and it blows up or whatever you have. And this film is just that. Like, fair enough, it, 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 we got very bombastic in the last 12 years or so in, in a lot of our cinema. And the horror is yeah. no exception. We've got a quiet mm. place and stuff. But this film is not bombastic. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, so yeah. I do think a little bit of a slow burner in itself and a little bit of a slow burner in how it enters the public conscious. And I'm a little disappointed in myself that I'd never heard of it before, to be frank. Mm. So, yeah, no, I agree. Well, well to, to, to be honest, I think there's a certain reservation for horror films where I feel the best horror films are the ones that get rediscovered as opposed to the ones that are broadcast in the cinema straight away. Because I think even mm. The Exorcist, I'm not sure if that was a straight away hit as it, as it happened. I think it got banned for a little while. But there, there are films like, um, I think, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, the where thing. they weren't, they may have made some money, the thing, yeah, they may have made some money at the box office, but they really became hits through word of mouth. And hmm. what I like about Pontypool is, even though it came out in 2009, it's still being rediscovered. And I want to just draw your attention to an article, and I can send you the web link afterwards. It's called Pontypool film and language and it was written on the 18th of april 2017 where somebody seems to have written an article about pontypool as a film um which is not made for mass consumption and it looks like an article that they read for they wrote for uh, some kind of thesis but they come up with this concept that pontypool is considered to be a paracinematic film which means it has an explicit manifesto of a paracinematic culture, um, it, which is to valorize all forms of cinematic trash. So it goes on to extend this to say that there's a guy called Hawkins, or it could be a woman who wrote in 2002, paracinematic taste involves a reading strategy that renders the bad into the sublime, the deviant into the defamiliarized, and in so doing, calls attention to the aesthetic aberrance and stylistic variety evident, but routinely dismissed in the many subgenres of trash cinema. So I think with Pontypool, it's very, it hands you everything. It hands you the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything that's existed in horror films, mm. uh, particularly zombie films. But I think it's like, like um, what you said about the comic relief, where the doctor comes in to try to give the exposition, and it's clunky exposition that he's been given to do, but mm. he, he does the exposition in a very fast, forward-thinking way. But the idea of the turning is not the, the pivotal moment of the film. Oh. It's actually trying to understand how the virus works and how to survive. And the whole bloodletting scenes, they are quite effective, not because it's a moment where somebody is about to be killed, but it's a moment which is more than unpredictable because it's escalating the tension in the situation and what the characters have to deal with. So I like the idea that it was giving you the VFX, or sorry, special effects. It was giving you the special effects that you needed in the horror film. It was giving you the zombie hordes. It was giving you the panic and confusion, but it was also trying to tell this other highbrow story, which was basically saying like, hold on a minute, zombie films don't all have to be cookie cutter versions of, a man and his wife and child running into basements or across supermarkets, escaping like Ben Johnson running um, (laughs) Olympic athlete, athletic zombies, you know? Mm. 
yeah, it just shows you like uh, something we always talk about is the versatility of horror. And like once again, like the zombie story shows or the zombie sub genre shows that it can be very versatile. That you can use it like rage monsters, like we talked about T virus, and you can mutate them in any way you want, like in Resident Evil, or you can use them like in World War Z, where mm. there's these like massive hordes, almost insect, uh, insect, uh, like where they all have this kind of like a uh, horde mind or hive mind, and they all move as one and stuff like that. Or you can go back to the George A. Romero tropes and have the slow zombies and all these things, or the new Dawn of the Dead with Zack but it shows you that you you can build a zombie story you can tell a zombie story by like uh insinuating the context of what it's like to be in that kind of world world or not it's there's a horde or there is uh impending doom or there's mania going on that you don't just you don't have to see it to really experience the fear that a situation like that can provide because oftentimes you wouldn't see it you'd be on the outskirts you'd be on the periphery and that's what I like about um, uh, Pontypool, that it keeps you on the periphery just long enough that the story itself acts out in a way that you you contrive or you build yourself. And then by the time that the hordes do burst through, that all those fears that were built up by the story, you actually kind of built them up yourself along with the story. And then by the time you see the horde, that you're already on the kind of like a kilter, you're on that knife's edge and you're ready to fall. And that's what yeah. it does really well, the tension, the tension, the tension. And then it's just an explosion of just like backs against the wall. You have to try to figure it out because it was like one thing with the zombie viruses. You have to figure out the virus if you have any chance of surviving. And that's what this does. It gives you yeah. enough information, the characters and the audience, enough information to kind of survive the story to a certain degree. And that's what I like about it is just that it shows you you don't have to show everything for an infected zombie story. And that's why horror and zombies in themselves are such a versatile subgenre and genre. But uh, Trevor, before we let you get the fuck out of here, dude, do you have anything else you want to say, Noel? And, or we wrap this fuck up? No, I actually thought that was... Uh, I, was I want to say one more thing, because you mentioned mm. World War Z. And um, if anyone's familiar with the graphic novels, World War Z is actually supposed to be a series of, I think, video and audio diaries of how different countries and different um, governments around the world are Mm. managing the zombie virus. Mm. But the feature film ended up being the Brad Pitt show, which is we've got this hunky six foot one blonde guy with blue eyes Mm. who he's going to bring people to the cinema. Let's follow his story around the world. Do you think looking back world war Z could have been a better film yeah, because apparently there's a lot of cut and edited scenes uh, mm. that never made it. Because 40 it minutes. There's even more scenes. Yeah, there's even scenes with the Doctor Who guy, uh, Peter... Uh, oh, Tony Capaldi. Is, Peter Capaldi. Tony, Peter Capaldi, yeah, yeah. So do you think, having watched Pontypool, a film like World War Z should have trusted the source material and mm. tried to tell the story of the video diary, audio diary element of how people were coping with containing the virus Mm. rather than following the Brad Pitt hero story. Well, for my part, I think that the contrast, if you were just going to put it into the zombie genre, I think the, 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 the actual prism would run from Pontypool right through to World War Z. You know, mm-hmm. like if I was to think of one that did it kind of like <laughs> slow and it was about the story versus something that was huge. Like we see that the, the, the walls yeah. of Israel being oh, absolutely overflowing with zombies and all of that. Um, 
then I would yeah. say that, yes, I which film I preferred is easy. That was Pontypool. I do think that there's room for whatever you want. Go over the top, go small, they're films. But I do think that if you, if I actually, I'm a big comic guy and I actually haven't read the graphic novels. So you've got me, you've got me there. But at the same time, I think, yeah. Yeah, because it would have been a series of vignettes otherwise, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I, I just feel like it's more is not always more. And that's, and that there just seems to be this thing where where something is lacking that you just throw in more and more and more. It's like literally throwing money at it. And uh, I do think that if there was a more pure version of World War Z, I might have liked the movie more. Actually, mm. quite I thought it was fine, but like uh, fine. And I've seen it, and if I see it again at some stage, also fine. But Pontypool impressed me, so I do think that if there was a better version story wise, then that would have been a better movie. But I do think that they were trying sure. to almost break into a different market. I think they were trying to break into the action market, really. Like, you know, yeah, they, they, sure. they left the blockbuster. Horror, uh, yeah, they tried to turn it into a blockbuster and they weren't going to do that yeah. with a self-contained story because it's unfortunately just not how it works. But uh, yeah, yeah. For, 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 again, because I'm puritanical at these, in these things, I do think I would agree with you. I would I would say, say close to the source material. If it's extremely popular, it's probably extremely popular for a reason. Yeah, like I think like uh, what you do is Max Brooks sold two million copies. Give Max Brooks, let him show run, let him be the main writer. Let him tell the story the way he wants to tell it. Whether he wants to adapt in a different way for screen, I think it would make an excellent TV series or miniseries. And each episode, you can have both things where you can have someone sitting down and telling the story and you can have a flashback where you actually see the story if you wanted to kind of uh, appeal to both sides of the kind of audience. So, like, it's a very easy story to tell, uh, World War Z. It's a very well-constructed book. Um, it's very well done. It's very cleverly done. Um, but, like, I think the best way to do World War Z would be in a miniseries or TV sh- series and let Max Brooks write it yeah. or let him show run or let him consult because it sold two million copies. So, I think if anyone has an understanding of that story, it's Max Brooks. But, Trev, uh, we're running short on time, dude. Uh, so, before we get the fuck out of here, uh, can you tell the folks who you are? Or, so, not who you are, but can you tell the folks where they can find you? Okay, so if you're interested in podcasts and you like listening to film talk and film reviews, uh, like you do with Invasion of Potty Snatchers, you can find Geek Sweat through the hashtag G-W-E-K-S-W-E-A-T. We're mm. on all the big platforms, including Apple, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, and um, uh, Stitcher as well. Uh, you just find us at the logo, six people in our little boxes with different background colours. And we've got about 180 plus episodes online. And we've even got a pending interview coming up with uh, these guys as well on their documentary segment, Dom's Docs. So uh, feel free to join, like and subscribe. And uh, thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks, Trevor. And Much thanks for having me on the show. I really... Sorry, I was going to say thanks for having me on the show as well. Pretty, no pretty worries, man. That was awesome. Good. Uh, really enjoyed the movie, man. Really enjoyed having you. Really appreciate you coming along. Um, we get the fuck out of here. I'm your host, Vince Green. I'm your host, Alton Tui, and that and was it- Tobias T.O. Thompson. Yeah. I was not listening. No, no, but we're, we're, we're playing into the old virus, so I'd like to say thank you, Niall Quinn, and <laughs> thank you, uh, Vernon, I really appreciate uh, you being on the, <laughs> the show. <laughs> All right. Uh, folks, out, man. It's been see brilliant. See you next time, motherfuckers. This is Invasion of Snatchers. That was Pondy Pool. That was Trevor Jones. Peace. Peach.
Let's go.